Welcome to the Raising Kids Together podcast. Raising Kids Together is a place where moms of all ages and stages come together from all over the world to walk this journey of mothering with one another. This podcast is just a small glimpse into the things that we are talking about in our daily Zoom meetings. I am your host, Tina Smith, and each week you can listen in as I and others share God's word and grow in our spiritual parenting. I am praying that you are blessed as you listen in. So good morning, everyone. I hope everybody is doing well this morning and um, ready to dive into Revelation. Some time this morning praying about um, about not only this study, but what what I might teach next. If you want another um, kind of lesson, so if you have something that you are particularly interested in, hit me up in the band app. Let me know. Um, there are a few things I am thinking about and praying about that I would love to teach to you. Okay, so let's pray and we get going. Mother, thank you so much um, for this day. Lord, um, you woke us up this morning, and no matter what this looks like, you are in charge of it, and I thank you for that. Father, I um, I just exalt you. Um, I glorify you, Lord Jesus, and I thank you that nothing happened today that takes you by surprise. Um, there may be all kinds of things that take us by surprise, but nothing ever takes you by surprise. And so, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that you are preparing us for what is to come in the coming days and the coming years. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto mine and a light unto my and it is truly love to me. And so I thank you for that, God. Please teach through me this morning going to finish looking at what happens in chapters 14 and 15 of Revelation as we prepare to study the bowl judgments. So this could very well be a record covering two whole chapters of Revelation in one day. I know, right? So here we go. We're going to study three scenarios where John is given a vision of things to come. So let's Go to Revelation chapter 14, and we're going to start there, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. I'm reading from the, uh, from the New King James Version. Revelation 14, verse 1, and we're going, to, we're going to meet some people that we have met before in this chapter. I think you'll remember them. And with him... 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, 
for they are without fault before the throne of God. Okay, so lots of people in this passage that we've met before. We've met the Lamb. We've met um, the 144,000. We have met the elders and the creatures before the throne. So here we are um, looking again at this 144,000 Jewish evangelists who were sealed for the testimony of God on the earth in Revelation 7. We met them first in Revelation 7. Now recall that they had to be sealed on their foreheads before the trumpet judgments could take place. Now, here we are. The trumpet judgments have finished, and we're seeing these 144,000 again. They are standing with Christ, the Lamb, on Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion is another name for the city of Jerusalem in the Bible. Today, in Israel, um, there is a part of the city of Jerusalem still known as Mount Zion. So, let's... Let's look, though, because when we saw them in Revelation 7, they were on the earth. Where are they now? Well, we can look at verse 3 for a clue about that. Verse 3 says, They, the 144,000, sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from where? The earth. So clearly this is taking place in a heavenly setting. They were redeemed from the earth. Now, where does scripture tell us that Jesus is going to return to this earth to? Jerusalem. And so John is seeing a vision of heaven, but it looks like it's taking place in the holy city of Jerusalem when Christ sets up his earthly kingdom, perhaps. So John is seeing a vision of what's going to happen in the future. Now, I want us to look very quickly at a phrase there in verse 4 that says that these uh, 144,000 were first fruits to God. Um, interesting wording. Uh, many commentators believe that this means that these 144,000 Jewish people, Israelites, are the first of a they're the first large group that comes to faith in Christ and they are the first fruits they are the predecessors they are the the ones leading the way and others will begin coming to uh, to faith in Christ after these 144,000 that we don't know that for sure but many commentators believe that they are representative of more Jewish people that will come to faith in Christ. Okay, so that's the 144,000. Now, let's look at Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 13. And here we are going to see um, in these verses um, three angels. Verses 6 through 13, we're going to see three angels. Uh, and they're all going to be doing something different. They're all going to be significant. I want to encourage you, if you've got your timeline, this is all still in that time at or shortly after the seventh trumpet. So put this in that timeline. 
if you still have room. I know the timeline has gotten full on the seventh trumpet. Okay, verse six. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. All right, let's stop right there and take a look at this first angel. This angel is flying in the heavens, proclaiming the gospel to those who are still on the earth. This would make perfect sense if, in fact, the rapture has already happened. We talked about that last week. If the rapture happened at the beginning of the seventh trumpet and the church is raptured, the Holy Spirit is, um, is taken away, Antichrist is loosed, so there's no, um, there's no spirit to proclaim the gospel on the earth. So God sends this angel to proclaim the gospel in the heavens to the creatures or the people left on earth. So it, it makes sense. Um, I don't know 100% if that's why this is happening at this point, but it seems to make sense to me. So um, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. We, as I told you before, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, those are really important chapters in end times theology. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 24 and let's see if this, um, this preaching of the gospel during the end time is referenced by Jesus in any way. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Um, and it says... Um, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So it seems that Jesus was referencing this when he was on earth. He was referencing this final preaching of the gospel um, on earth. So this could very well be a fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen in Matthew chapter 24. Tina says, God is so good to give everyone a chance to the very end. Yeah, it, it, is, it blows my mind how God continually gives mankind opportunities to turn to him. Um, it just, it's stunning. So um, now let's look at the second angel, and that is um, verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. All right, so what's this all about? Here's, all of a sudden, we've got something about Babylon thrown in here. Uh, so, this angel has a message for the city of Babylon. Very, very interesting. Do you remember what major Bible story happened in the city of Babylon? There are a few, but the first, the first time we hear, um, and this might be a little bit of a trick question, but the first time there's a mention of the area of Babylon in the Bible, does anybody remember what it is? Go with me to Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel or Babel. Some people call it Babel. Um, so after the flood, God had commanded mankind to populate the earth. 
but in mankind's very flawed wisdom, they decided that instead of scattering, they wanted to squat. So we're not going to scatter. We are going to squat. So they decided they wanted to set up a tower that reached to the heavens and to make a name for themselves. This is called idolatry. Plain and simple, this is called idolatry. This was outright rebellion toward God. So when God came down to see what they were doing, if you live in the South, you would say God threw a hissy fit and confused their language. He said, we are going to take care of this business. We are going to confuse their language so that they cannot all understand one another and they would scatter. So look at um, Genesis 11, verse 8. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. All right, so ultimately Babel became Babylon, key, key point, um, and Babylon um, is a city that that gave birth to an empire that ultimately at one point ruled the world. Do you remember Daniel and his friends were carried off to Babylon? So Babylon figures very prominently in Old Testament Bible history. Um, it also, um, Babylon came to be known for a worldview that was totally about power and idolatry, absolutely about power and idolatry. Um, and so it's, it's not a mistake that Babylon is mentioned in Revelation because it is where really where idolatry had a, a major birthplace with the Tower of Babel. All right, so history tells us that Babylon, the city of Babylon fell in 539 BC, just as God said it would. Um, if we go to Isaiah chapter 47, let's take a look at that prophecy really quickly. Isaiah chapter 47 and um, look at verse 9. Actually, if your Bible has headings at the beginning of chapters, you, your uh, heading in 47 may say the humiliation of Babylon or something similar to that. So um, in verse 9, it says, um, but these two things shall come to you, talking to Babylon, in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries for the great abundance of your enchantments. And then drop down to verse 11. Therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall know, not know from where it arises. The trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. So in 539, the city of Babylon was destroyed. In fact, today... That area is what is modern-day Iraq. And in the 80s, Saddam Hussein um, attempted to rebuild the city of Babylon. And, and some of it did get rebuilt. Um, but the ancient city, there's very little left of it today. 
Um, I also want us, while we're in Isaiah, let's look at verses 8 and 10 um, to get a, a little more of an insight into the Babylonian mentality. Um, Isaiah 47, 8, therefore hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one else besides me. I will not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. Verse 10, for you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one else besides me. Uh, can you see any of that mentality in our world today? I am, and there is no one else beside me. That's pride. That's just out and out pride. So that's the mentality that Babylon had. So go back to Revelation chapter 14. And in verse 8, we see that angel proclaiming that downfall of Babylon that we just read about in Isaiah. Babylon was a city and a culture and a mentality of idolatry and pride, and God is going to take it down. So that is the second angel. Now, um, will Babylon ever be rebuilt? It's a really great question. We don't know. Um, Saddam Hussein tried to do it. Uh, some commentators think that Babylon may very well serve as the center of Antichrist's government in the last days. So if you hear about Babylon being rebuilt, your ears better perk up because it's not going to be a good thing. Um, so, you know, we hear all about becoming one world government and that kind of thing could very well happen from Babylon if it's ever rebuilt. All right, so now let's look at the third angel and what that third angel says in verses 9 and 10. Um, then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead and on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Let's go on through verse 13. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest, night or day, who worship the beast and his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So angel number three is proclaiming destruction and judgment on all who worship the beast and who take the mark of the beast on their hand and on their forehead. These people will experience the full wrath of God, undiluted, the full wrath of God. All right, so now let's move on. Revelation 14, 14 through 20. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud and on the cloud sat one like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple 
crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Let's stop right there. In verses 14 through 16, we see Christ adorned with a victor's crown. Now, you'll remember in the um, study of the seven churches, Christ did not have the, the victor's crown on. He had the kingly crown, proclaiming him as king over all the earth. This crown that he has is the victor's crown because he is getting ready to clean up. He is going to exact judgment and he is going to be the victor. He is going to clean up. Um, and so the sickle is a harvesting tool that had a sharp, it was a razor sharp curved steel or iron blade on it and had a wooden handle and it was used to reap. And the, the reapers went through the, the, um, the harvest and just cut everything that they wanted down. And so that is the picture of what is going to happen. Tina says, this is so counterculture. People do not believe God is a God of judgment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, and actually, let's just do it right now. We need to understand that the Jesus we are seeing right here in Revelation 14 is not the Sunday school Jesus that we were all taught. He is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He is not the baby in the, the feed trough. He is the ruling, reigning king who exacts judgment on his enemies. Everybody today wants the God of love. You know, I, I, I could never worship a God who would, who would do all these horrible things to people. Yeah, absolutely. That's why there's no fear of God. Because the full character of God is not taught today. God is love. He absolutely is love, but he is also just. And justice demands that sin be punished. There's no way around it. And so all through scripture, God very clearly reveals the judgment side of his character. People just don't want to see it. They don't want to understand it. Uh, nowhere in scripture, I challenge you to find a place in scripture where God exacted judgment on anyone before first warning them. He, every time he warns, every time he gives warning, he gives people opportunity to repent every single time, but there will come an end to that patience. And that's what we're seeing right now is, is he's done. He is just done at this point. Um, and so, you know, if all we have is a God of love, then anything goes. If it feels good, do it. Yet we have to see God as he really is, that he is both a God of love and justice. And when we see God in that way, we cannot help but see us as we really are. When I see God as holy and just and loving, I see grace toward me and mercy because I don't deserve that. I don't deserve any of it. And another angel. So, so here we've got a fifth angel. Another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire 
and he cried with a loud cry, cry who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. All right, so we all know what a furlong is, right? No. So a furlong is about 184 miles, approximately 184 miles. This, um, this fourth and fifth angel, they come out from the temple in heaven, and angel number five cries out to angel number four to start gathering the vine of the earth. The vine of the earth is symbolic of mankind. And he, the angel number five, um, angel number four starts reaping and those who are enemies of Christ get thrown into what's called the wine press of the wrath of God. Now this image likely symbolizes the coming battle of Armageddon. You've, you've heard of Armageddon? Battle of Armageddon. Um, that's what this symbolizes. And, and the Battle of Armageddon is the final battle where all the earthly armies of God are going to assemble uh, and they will be slaughtered. This final battle is mentioned in Isaiah 63. Let's go back to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 63 verses 1 through 6. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. That's Christ speaking. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. From the day of fit, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth. Quite a dramatic passage, if you really, really look at it. This, um, the final battle is also mentioned in Joel. Um, if you want to flip several books to the right, Joel chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Joel chapter 3, verse 12. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Um, so there is yet another reference to the coming battle of Armageddon. Um, when I was in Israel, I don't remember if it was my first trip or my second trip, we had the opportunity to go up onto Mount Megiddo. 
Um, in Israel, it's called Har Megiddo. Mount in um, Hebrew is Har. And we stood there and the, the, um, the, the valley below, you could see for miles and miles and miles. The valley below is beautiful. It's lush and green. And I stood there and tried to picture what that valley will look like when for 184 miles out, the blood of the slaughter will come up to the horse's bridles. This is wholesale slaughter in that day. And I tried very, very hard to, um, to imagine it. And it's hard to imagine. Now, do you remember when we talked um, a couple of weeks ago about that um, the, the, the nation of Israel will be protected in that day um, when, when the Antichrist will come after them and they will, they will be taken away somewhere to be protected? And I said, sometimes um, some scholars believe that the ancient city of Petra might actually be that place. Anybody want to guess about how far from the Valley of Jehoshaphat it is to Petra? About 184 miles, just under 200 miles. Um, so, you know, we don't know if Petra is where, where Israel is going to be protected, but we don't know it's not. Let me see. Um, let me see what I've missed here. Um, Tina, oh, Vanessa said, so just to be clear, the harvesting is of the unbelievers on the earth. That's correct. This is judgment time of unbelievers. Those who have taken the mark of the beast. Um, Tina said, we need this part of the teaching so much. It is our motivation to share Jesus with those who don't know them. You are so right. Um, Annette said, yes, it's an amazing view and quite a picture of this. Yeah, it really is very sobering. Nikki said, Valley is measured at 36 miles times 15 miles. So perhaps the furlongs were volume or perhaps it means it goes beyond the valley. Perhaps. Yeah. Um, Vanessa says, amen. I think that's part of why the church has gotten so complacent with not preaching the hard truth to unbelievers because they themselves are ignorant to the wrath that will actually come since it's all about God is love these days. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Valley of Jehoshaphat to Petra, about 184 miles, right. Okay, any other thoughts or questions? Let's finish up by looking really quickly at Revelation chapter 15. Um, this is a prelude to what is going to happen um, in chapter 16. So I just wanted to cover it very quickly. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. 
After these things, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. <clears throat> and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven last plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Um, Tina said, so once you take the mark of the beast, your fate is sealed. Yep. That's what scripture seems to indicate. So here in um, Revelation 15, John sees another sign in heaven, and that sign is seven mighty angels in possession of the seven last judgments. You'll remember that um, angels were associated with the seven trumpets, and now here angels are associated with the seven bowls. And in verse 1, John is very clear. He tells us that these, these are the last judgments of God. And if you think back over all that has happened and how mankind and how the earth has been absolutely devastated, you have to, have to realize that the earth can't take much more. But what's coming is going to be really, really bad. So next week, you will want to have your final handout that are, um, is titled the, the Bowl Judgments or the, the Seven Bowl Judgments. So we can fill those in. We are going to attempt, I know you find this hard to believe, but we're going to go over all seven bowl judgments next week. I'm so thankful that you joined us for this week's episode of the Raising Kids Together podcast. I hope you've been blessed by listening in on our Zoom room. We would love for you to join us. You can come when you can and come as you are. Simply go to RaisingKidsOnYourKnees.org and click the button on the front page to enter the Raising Kids Together Zoom Room. We meet Monday through Friday at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. Have a great day.